For those of you who don't know, my name is Stuart Davenport, born and raised in El Paso, and uh, sometimes at home, when I'm watching TV, I pretend to be a preacher. So we're in uh, the third third and last Sunday of a sermon series that I have called Made for More. Um, we haven't said so much out uh, in service. Ross is not very good at naming services. His creativity stops at titling things. So that's not one of his spiritual gifts. But we've been talking about spiritual gifts. And Ross spent a lot of time in the chapter... Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the first half, the first week, in the second half, the second week, and here we find ourselves. Uh, and uh, so, if you, how many of you, let's start here, how many of you all, and you can do this online too, how many of you all filled out uh, uh, the spiritual gift survey? Raise your hand. Well, that's a goodly amount of you. Goodly? Yeah? Okay. Uh, that's good. So if you're online, please let us know as well, just in the comments section or email us. So uh, if you, so since most of you know, uh, do, we have, do, do you guys have pens and pencils or do you need pens and pencils? If you don't, if we could pass out some pens and pencils. We need you to write down your top three uh, uh, spiritual gifts with your name and your email address. Okay, whatever those are. So, but we've been talking about spiritual gifts and Ross talked about a few of them last week, but, but what are they? There's 20 of them. And uh, these are in no particular order except for alphabetical. Administration, apostleship, uh, the gifts of apostleship comes, uh, compels people to reach out in new and unfamiliar ways. Compassion, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, Helping, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, leadership, miracles, prophecy, servanthood, shepherding, teaching, tongues, wisdom. So, my friend Steve Georgie has the gift to be able to fix bikes. And if uh, he... Um, if he keeps that gift all unto himself, I think we'd be in an agreement that it'd be a gift wasted, right? If I mean, I, if all this practice of preaching at home that I have, Brenda, if I don't get a chance to come here and share it with you all, it's a gift wasted, right? It's a gift you all don't really want to hear. <laughs> Um, so the, the point being is, is that we have gifts and some of those gifts like fixing of bikes and doing of taxes and baking of bread and, and, uh, painting of pictures and taking of photographs aren't in this spiritual gift list, but we have either undiscovered or unused spiritual gifts. And so the point being is to be able to use them in a kingdom-building way. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So um, we've been going through this. So if, for those of you either here in, uh, in the sanctuary or online at home, please Google UMC Spiritual Gifts Survey. And then your result, your first result, it will come out and it will tell you uh, where to go and take the survey. It takes about 10 minutes. Um, it may take you a little longer because, you know, uh, the reading glasses haven't been updated or, or you know, the font is so small on the screen or, or whatever. But the biggest rule is not to put uh, too much into it, to think fast and answer the qu- questions quickly. Your gut reaction is what we're looking for. We are all called to serve, each of us and every one of us. But clearly, we can't serve in the same way. And so, uh, I, I, I want you to think of this. I thought about this yesterday in, in, in when I, well, actually, I thought about it on Friday. I went to, uh, I go to a, a chiropractor by the name of uh, M.E. Brown. I call him Doc Brown. Seth calls him Doc Brownie. He's an old codger, and I don't think he would be offended that I called him that. Um, he's got mutton chops, and uh, he has this old table that he has his patients lie out on, and uh, he turns these knobs and presses these buttons, and the table like lifts up and sinks down and whatever, and so then he uses the table to help him adjust people's backs and hips and bones and stuff like that. And so it got me to thinking, what happens if this table breaks down? Who fixes the table for Doc Brown? And so he says that he found a young man. He's got an office in Truth or Consequences, Tyrone. And uh, he found a young man young to him, who's in his late 40s, early 50s, something like that. And he comes and has, his talent is IT, information technology. And he comes and kind of tinkers with the table. And over tinkering with the table over time, he has learned how to expertly fix this table for Doc Brown. So it led me to think, as I was thinking about this and hearing this from Doc Brown, about Within the last 10 years, this is as best as I can remember. Let me start here. How many of you all been to Knott's Berry Farm? Knott's Berry Farm, is, it's in Southern California. It's a, I think it's like a cross town. Correct me if I'm wrong, those of you from SoCal. It's like a cross town from, from Disneyland. And Mr. Knott and Mr. Disney were kind of uh, competitors to some extent, uh, Mr. Knott was in the farming business, whereas Mr. Disney was in the filmmaking business. Uh, before there was a Knott's Berry Farm uh, amusement park, there was like jam. You could buy it on, you used to be able to buy it on the shelf. And uh, there was a farm, thus the name Knott's Berry Farm, where these fruits were grown to be turned into jam. And uh, his first uh, attraction of sorts, if I remember the story correctly, was that he built an exact replica of Independence Hall on his farm. And uh, for those who were unable to go to Philadelphia, he wanted them to go to Knott's Berry Farm and be able to see 
where our democracy, our constitution, our uh, principles that we believe in here as Americans were developed, argued, uh, assaged, written down on pieces of paper. So everything's an exact replica from the chairs, the tables, the pins, the quills, the Liberty Bell itself. And then slowly over time, he, he added to this collection. He, and so he built an amusement park. But the part of the collection that I want to talk to you about is that he bought coin-operated machines. And by coin-operated machines, I'm talking like player pianos where you would drop uh, what was called a Nickelodeon. You would drop a nickel into it and it would play a song. Or, or these Nickelodeons of sorts where they played huge, like Randy, they were like... Uh, they were huge, enormous brass discs with little uh, pins on them, and there would be something that would hit the pins at the right time. And so, like an old record player, it would you could select the song you wanted to play, and it would pull out the disc and put it up on the thing. There were machines that I have seen in my lifetime. I've never seen one play at all, but there were machines that, that could play violins, and cellos, and guitars, and banjos. So about 10 years ago, they had a huge auction. It was the greatest collection of, of, of coin-operated machines ever. And they had a huge auction to liquidate every single one of them. The violin machine, I remember at one point in time in my alter life as the son of an antique dealer costing anywhere between fifty dollars and $100,000. And I'm talking like $1970. Why would something so valuable be sold at auction? And I think, Pete, if I remember correctly, the violin machine, which was the most sought-after coin-operated machine sold for something around $3,000. Why? The last two gentlemen who fixed these machines retired. The gift, the talent, the treasure of knowledge went off to greener pastures, possibly to sell the tract home that they bought for $35,000, $50,000 for a couple of million to go and be closer to their grandkids or their children. Knott's Bay Farm quickly realized that there was nobody to replace them. Nobody had wanted to learn that thing to make machines play, pluck with mechanical fingers, a violin or a banjo. That's why spiritual gifts are so important. Somebody here has the spiritual gift of prophecy. Somebody here has the spiritual gift of exhortation. Somebody here has the spiritual gift of administration. Thank you very much, Justy Weikert. Four, five, 26 years as treasurer of the church. 
some of you have never heard all of these 20 things being um, uh, expounded on like or listed out as I listed them out to you just like right now. And so I ask you to take the time to push and pull and stretch yourself into those gifts that you've discovered. Some of you have uh, known of these gifts. I am going to bet $10 that one of Christie's gifts is administration because she has this gift, this talent to prepare people's taxes, which is kind of an administrative duty. But then I would ask Christy to push and pull and stretch herself to look at that administrative talent in a totally new way. For God's will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To kingdom build here with that gift. To use it in a totally new and different way. And so as I say this, let me go to 1 Corinthians I'm in chapter 13. So as I get ready to read this, I need you to think about something. Putting chapter and verse in the Bible did not come until... Six, seven hundred years after Jesus had passed away. Six, seven hundred years after, uh, well, three, four hundred years after this had become a canon, a book of books. Somebody, a monk, decided that we should be able to break it down so that you can find what it is that you're looking for quicker and easier. So this is a letter to the people of Corinth. It's the first letter of the people of Corinth. Corinth, like, you know, uh, just quickly, you know, like, what do they say? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Think Corinth as what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. If you think that Vegas is... Uh, uh, the city of hedonism, Corinth, wins it by like a, a country mile, a landslide. And so in chapter 12, where, where uh, Paul spends all this time talking about spiritual gifts, think of what I'm about to read to you slide straight into that. He's still talking about spiritual gifts. But somehow, some way, we have taken this chapter and uh, not in a bad way, but we've kind of twisted it for a different purpose. Most of you have heard this in a different place, in a different way. Listen to what I'm about to read. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of, of angels, but I don't love, I'm a, clanking, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't love, I have nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my own body to feel good about what I have done, but I don't love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. 
It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child. But now that I have become a man or a woman, I have put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in the mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but when I will know completely in the same way that I've been completely known. Now faith and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these, is love. Let me read this again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. The word of God for the people of God. I took this test a few years ago. We were doing a spiritual inventory class on Wednesday nights. We used to do that. It was shortly after I had left Starbucks, so I was living a much more, um, what's the opposite of introverted? Uh, Extroverted life. And then the next year, did it again, and since I was living a much more introverted life than the extroverted life, my my, uh, survey came back drastically different. I've taken it recently a couple of times. Two of them landed where they should have landed. One of them is is that I have the gift of prophecy. Yes, Kathy, I have the gift of prophecy. I'm working on the book of Stuart right now, Pete. Hopefully someday, you know, in future generations... Maybe maybe uh, Seth will preach from the book of Stuart. And I'm sure that, you know, all of you will be like, oh, yeah, that's the book of stew. Just full of leftovers and, you know. To take a look at our spiritual gifts and to know that they mean nothing without love. is the point. Because love isn't arrogant. Love endures all things. Love is always there. So as you um, write down whatever your top three are to uh, 
to go home and to do the survey again to see if that is, if your gifts have changed and or to take a look at them in new light, to look at the definitions of the gifts, go and do that. If it is something that looks like you did in a uh, personal or professional life, maybe take it and just twist it a little bit as much as you need to, to look at it in a new and different way. To share your gift is the biggest point of all. I made a joke earlier that um, Justy had served as our treasurer for the last 26 years. It feels like 26 years, but she is coming to the end of her time of service. And in that, somebody will need to replace her. One of you has that gift to be able to lead, to be able to administer, to be able to supervise somebody as they manage the numbers. Some of you are sitting on a ministry uh, inside your head. You've been mulling it around like a, and it bounces around like a ping pong ball and you just, you, you need to share it and get it out. So lean into that. But more than anything else, I don't want Morningstar or any church for that matter to be like Knott's Berry Farm. To have to take a look at the inventory of what it is that you've got and you must liquidate it because there's nobody sharing their spiritual gifts, their knowledge to continue the thing going forward. Think about that. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Amen.